to Royal Table Talk. My name is Latoya Conway Hampton, and I'm your host. And today, we have an amazing guest here who's going to share her experience, strength, and hope, and she's going to support us as we talk about real candid conversations. One of the things I recognize is after being in an abusive relationship, some of the heartfelt situations were, how do you have intimacy after being in an abusive relationship? And then let me back up a little bit. What is intimacy? So tell us who you are and why you're a guest on our show today. Hi, everyone. My name is Lynn Cotto, and I'm a domestic violence survivor. And I'm here with LaToya today to talk about uh, what is intimacy and how to get back into the intimacy after so tell me a little bit about why is it important to be intimate in the first place? Um, I think it's important to be intimate with yourself first before you can get into with anybody else. And by intimacy, I mean being able to trust yourself, um, have be sure of, have some kind of sense of who you are, what you want um, in a relationship with other people. And also being sure of your boundaries within yourself and the other people. I, I agree with you 100. I want to I wanna touch on the one where you said trust yourself. Because growing up when you haven't learned how to trust your judgment, everything you've done have been told to be wrong or is always judged. Then as we begin to grow into adult women and get in those relationships, then we don't trust our own opinion. We don't trust our right. own thoughts. Tell me a little bit about a time in your life where you feel like, I can't trust my decisions. Um, I think that was actually pretty recent. When I got out of my abusive relationship, um, I couldn't trust anything. I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust my judgment. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a narcissistic abusive relationship, but coming out, I felt like um, I didn't know who I was anymore. And I felt like any decision I was making, um, I had to either ask my friends for validation or mm -hmm. for them to give me like, hey, does this sound right to you? It, it was a time in my life where I felt really confused. And um, that was right after that, that relationship. Absolutely. There, there was a time in my life where I used my father as my sounding board. And when I had challenges and situations, I would go to my dad. So moving from my parents' house at 16 to my own apartment around the corner from my dad to being a teenage mom, I was off and running. So I had to make really big decisions really early on. So because I had to take care of my mom and make sure she took care of this, that, and the other. And so... I was pretty strong in my decision making when I was younger, but after getting into that abusive relationship, I started to think that I'm not making the right choices. And then I had to really ask for permission to think for myself. And it's like when I wanted something, it was like I would look at him to get the answer. You know, when the truth of it is, is I was the wind beneath his wing. And I never knew that. So for me, it was my dad when I first got out and, um, out of that relationship until I outgrew him because I recognized the more I got healthier the more I recognized how unhealthy my father was so then I started leading him 
So definitely there was a time in my life where, oh my God, I couldn't trust my decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely relate to that. <laughs> Tell me how. Um, by not being able to trust myself, like I said. Um, I think when you're when you're constantly being told that you're wrong, that's that's what I experienced in my life's relationship. It's that that I'm wrong, that I don't know anything, that I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough. Um, you you start to change your your thoughts uh, of or your viewpoint of of yourself, and you start to then believe those uh, believe those thoughts of. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm lost. I'm just here hopeless. <laughs> and when, when you start thinking in that way, um, it's really hard to, to change that and start to believe that you are smart enough. You are good enough. And um, that's how I can relate. <laughs> Sorry. Well, worthy. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> Growing up, because I suffered from um, being dyslexic, and then um, I wasn't able to read a spell till I was 29, and so I struggled through school. And I remember my stepfather would always, you know, call me dumb or dumb dumb, or you know. And so my mother kind of adopted that language from him. And so I never could understand that. I can be a smart, intelligent woman because it was fed to me, young child, that you know my opinions didn't matter until I had to take care of my mom. Then I had to just get up and make it happen. But when you're constantly telling your children or the people around you stupid, dumb, all those things, what you're doing is you're planting seeds. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it comes from your parents, oh my God, that becomes your reality. It is. It's your everything. And so that's what I got. I, that's what I got from my mother all the time. You dumb. You stupid. You look like your dad. But baby, let me tell you, when I found my voice, I still make mistakes. I still suffer from dyslexic. However, I'm still able to see some things. And now today, I begin to trust my opinions, my thoughts, and all those things. So it helps me with to have an intimate relationship. What about you? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I I think I definitely had to spend a lot of time alone. And it could be different for anybody else, everybody else, but for me, I, I had to spend time alone and really re reflect back on my on my life, my childhood. Why do I feel like I'm not good enough? It, sure, it was my past relationship had to do some some with it but I also believe that it, it comes from my childhood my uh, caregivers who would always they weren't the best role models um, so taking time being alone and really figuring out who I am what do I want what do what brings me happiness I think the more I got connected to myself the the more I started to to like create this trust and I started trusting my own judgment. I, I love it. And what I love about your answer is the two things, safety and connection. So when we become connected with ourselves through reflecting, strengths, building, um, 
concerns that we may have with ourselves and our behaviors, when we begin to build on that, we get that connection with ourselves. We begin to trust ourselves. And once you feel safe, the walls start falling down and then you get to heal and develop and become that better version of yourself, right? And that is the number one step to healthy intimacy after an abusive relationship. Tell me what about boundaries? Where were you heading? You don't have to answer my question because you have your own answer. Tell me what boundaries mean to you. And now that you've been able to find your voice and voice and using boundaries, where, where are they? Where do they so, stand? What, one of my, something that I really wanted to work on with, with my boundaries was I, I've always been a people pleaser. So just like how you said, you wanted to be liked. I wanted to be liked also. So it was really hard for me to say no to people. And even though I would get a stomach ache or my, my gut would just say like, no, that's not for you, don't do it. Uh, it was so hard for me to say no to people. And I, I've noticed that that brought a lot of stress to my life. Um, I've always had, I hold a lot of tension here in my neck. So I've always had shoulder back problems. Um, and I think it had to do with all that stress of not having or feeling like I didn't have a voice. I just have to say yes to everyone, to please everyone. And now that we talk about, I'm, we're talking about this, I feel like I got it from my mom too. <laughs> but um, one thing that I wanted to work on was learning how to say no. And that was the first boundary that I learned, is saying no to things that were just not for me. I love it, I love it, I love it. And what I love about that, here at Two Lifestyles, one of our signature exits from the group post uh, pre-COVID was we stand in a circle and at the end of Santa prayer, we just stop. No, because what I find to be the truth is a lot of us survivors, we don't know how to say no. And that's how we ended up in these relationships with people because they knew that they could manipulate who we were because they knew yes. we weren't going to say no. Exactly. And here's, here's the, here's the exciting part. 24 years down the line, I can say no in a lot of areas, but there is a lot of areas that I don't say no that's been brought to my attention that I'm now working on. So maintenance is real important. You, you, yes. You work on this area, you got to go over here and go back and revisit that. And so saying no, even if you can't so, say no to our listeners, what you can say is no, not right now until it becomes more comfortable. So if someone says, can you do this? And you know your gut tells you don't, it it warns you, your body knows. Mm -hmm. But our heart says, (laughs) (laughs) but you could say not right now. Yeah. That feels more Mm -hmm. comfortable than the straight out say flat no. But then when you get comfortable with it, that no will roll off of your lips so easily. Yeah. No. I'm very uncomfortable now to say no. Yeah. Say no. But some of our <laughs> listeners may haven't got there yet. Yeah. And we want to teach them if you can't just say no right off the bat, just say no, not right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Whew. You have any questions? <laughs> That's okay. So let's talk about a little bit more. <laughs> about that intimate relationship. Some people, when you talk about being intimate with a person after an abusive relationship, they go straight to sex. They're they're thinking the physical intimates, 
space. Yeah. Now there can be a physical intimacy between a couple where you're having uh, uh, sex, or there can be a physical intimacy between two friends that's just like hugging. I love you, sis. I love you, bro. Um, that's a physical intimacy situation. There's emotional intimacy where you have conversations with people that you love and you kind of share private and personal things about yourself. You share those emotions with one another. That's also a form of intimacy. And then there is that mental intimacy where I think that I provide with the women that I service because we talk about deep conversations that they've never, ever shared, that I've never, ever shared. And we get together and we have that mental, it's like that mastermind meeting of the two where we come together and we share that mental intimacy. Tell me a time where since you've gotten out of the relationship that you've acquired an intimate, emotional, intimate relationship with a person. Um, I'd have to say had a really special bonding moment with my one of my best friends, Jen. Um, there was a time where I was feeling fear, like my body, I wasn't being uh, attacked or anything, it's just my body was feeling a lot of fear. And I didn't know how to express what I was feeling, and so my friend just hugged me and I just cried it out and I felt like that's all I needed I just needed to feel safe with someone um, and it was we were being intimate just not sexually even though it was physical um, and it, without words it was just like in something that we both felt like I felt that I needed her she was there for me we hugged and I cried it out and it, it's, it brought us even closer. So I think that's been a really meaningful and deep moment for me when I was being intimate with someone. Mm -hmm. That intimacy also brings about a sense of safeness. Right. Um, I think the physical safeness, um, how, do, how do you feel safe? Are you safe in your neighborhood? Are you safe in your home? Are you safe in your own space? right in your mental space and sometimes when you're triggered from something that happened you may not even know that you're triggered it just pops in and all of a sudden the body responds that's that anxiety that you get and it's like oh my goodness um i, I need to get this off of me right and i'm so glad that she was there to provide that safety for you and it does bring you closer right it brings you closer. oh yeah definitely because mm -hmm. you had a need and she met it <laughs> yeah and I, and I feel um, it's important for we're trying to get out of trauma to have that uh, person or a group of people who you truly can be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to have it in, in your healing journey um, because you, safety and feeling like someone is there, just to, even just to listen to you. To feel hurt, something that we don't get a lot when you're in unhealthy relationships because our opinion don't matter, our boundaries don't matter, we don't feel safe. So to feel heard, yeah. it's like, and, and, and sometimes when I would do groups, um, I worked in drug treatment, I would do groups with these group of women who are freshly off of drugs, 
freshly out of their abusive relationship. And they're arguing and fighting with each other. And one day, the director said, your class is all riled up. What's going on in there? We laughing, and then you'll have people upset. And when the abuse and the trauma and the disrespect and the chaos is not there, we create it because it's missing. Mm -hmm. We create that, right? And just listening to those ladies and, and watching them, and then just being that, come here, baby, let me just hug you. Let me just yeah. hug you. And then when you hug them and they get that hug, it just changes everything. And it's like, whoo, I needed that, right? Just that physical intimacy that does not have to do with sex, which is necessary for a human being to move forward. Now, it depends on what your love language is because some people don't need that. If your love language is touch, then you need that. Right? Yeah. Some people's love language is not touch. You try to hug them and they look at you crazy. So <laughs> yes. when people show up here, when the women show up here to register, um, if I walk so happen to walk by the intake window and I notice, I can sense their spirit like, okay, I just need to go out there hug. And I say, baby, can I give you a hug? And uh, sometimes they say no and sometimes they look like mm, skeptical, like, yeah. But then when I get there and hug them, they just release. They just really, I can sense it, right? It's yeah. something that's needed because they haven't been hurt. Their boundaries been crossed. They're not safe and they're full of trauma. And just that physical connection helps with that intimacy. And it, it's just a different form of it. So my name is Latoya Conway Hampton. Thank you so much for tuning in to Royal Table Talk. It is my honor and my pleasure to bring to you our guest who comes in with amazing experiences, amazing strength. Thank you so much. I'm Latoya and I'm your host.